0: Wonderful promise it is that that urging we have to come weary and heavy laden even we who are lost and ruined by the fall right God does not require us to get our acts together to get everything cleaned up to get everything perfect to be all right in all of our ways before we come to him he tells us to bring all of our baggage all of our troubles all our wearies all of our uh, Sinfulness and brokenness to Him, and He will take it away for us. If we wait until we are perfect, we will never come to Him. So come to Him today. That is the message that He gives us. Come in the midst of our sin and trust in Him. You recall that our sermon series is currently through the book of Amos, the prophet from. Uh, Judah, who came to prophesy to the nation of Israel. Uh, Last week, we looked at six other nations that he spoke to first. In chapter uh, 2, we come now in verse 4, and we will look at verses 4 through 16. Would you rise out of respect for God's holy and inspired word as I now read from it? Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel And for four I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned they lay themselves down beside every altar On garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, And led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets. And some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. But you have made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place. As a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flights shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides on the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only Infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Did you pray with me once more? Our Lord, we pray indeed that you would open our eyes to your truth someday. Uh, you have given us a hard word here. Sometimes we see passages that, that uh, warm our hearts. That, that encourage us, that, that lift us up, that build up our spirits and just make us feel so good. This is not one of those passages. And yet you have given it to us for our instruction because you love us as your beloved children. And so we pray that you would help us to see the truth in it and lead us all the more to Christ Jesus our Lord. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, when I was a young child, uh, grade school, maybe middle school, uh, my father was the coach of my basketball team. And I, I really enjoyed having my dad as a coach. I looked up to my dad a great deal. Um, and, and it was nice having him as a coach. But it was sometimes hard having him as a coach. I felt like he he kind of demanded more out of me than he demanded out of any of the other kids on the team. And I remember one night, actually, it kind of came to a head, and, and I can remember maybe being in the fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that, and, and, and talking to him and and just saying, Dad, I, I don't think you're being fair to me. I don't think you're being fair because, because it seems to me that that. When we come to practice, if other people make a mistake, you don't think anything of it. But if I do it, you you seem to be a little more severe with me. You seem to be more demanding of me. You seem to expect more out of me than you do out of the others. And it just doesn't seem fair. I feel feel like you should be more lax with me, more easy with me. If anything, you know, you shouldn't have any rules for me. I'm your son, right? That's kind of the mindset. I had. And my dad said to me that I was absolutely right. He did expect more out of me, and it was precisely because he loved me. He loved me, and and I had added access to him. I had the benefit of being able to, after practice, talk to him and learn from him and 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 grow and and. I had the benefit of, of on the way to practice, riding in the car with him and knowing what he was going to say on the way home, being able to learn from my mistakes all the more, right? The other kids only had the time of that one hour that they spent in practice with him. And then they didn't see him again until the next practice or the next game. But I, I had so much more given to me. I have been the beneficiary of his presence, of his teaching, of what he could give me that so many of the others did not have. And as a result, he did indeed expect more of me. And I know now that that was not wrong. That was absolutely right. And in much the same way, God's concern and his expectations and his demands for his people are greater than they are for anyone else. Or or at least we could say that a deviation from his expectation is all the more grievous for those who are his beloved, those to whom he has given the benefits of his fatherly love and wisdom. So even among God's people, actually especially among God's people, we need to be reminded of three things that today's text tells us about. The seriousness of our sin, our story of grace, and the certainty of judgment. I think those are in a different order than you might have if you're following along on the note sheet that's in your bulletin, but, but I figure you guys can, can figure that out as we're going along here. But first we're gonna look at the seriousness of our sin, or of the sin of God's people. And this passage begins with a familiar phrase today, right? Thus says the Lord for three transgressions, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Now he's speaking to Judah, though, right? This familiar pattern has been repeated time and time again for these different nations up to this point. The the righteous wrath of God, though, in the past has been directed at the other nations, not at the God or the people of God. Now, though, Judah, God's own people, has come into focus. And remember how we talked about last week how, how his we looked at those different nations, it was spiraling closer and closer and closer to Israel, getting more and more to the point, and we, we've gotten really close now, right? We actually are with the people of God. We are, we are in Judah, and he is, he is speaking to them, and, and we realize that he, he must speak to Judah, right? Not just because they are in sin, which is surely true, but because he's from Judah. And his message would sound so hollow, would it not, if he were to just speak out to all the people of all the other nations, and, and then just skip past Judah, right? And, and, and point his finger at everyone else. I've said before that, that if you are going to a church, which all the time is calling other people to repentance, but is never calling you to repentance, then you're probably going to the wrong church, right? Because because our job isn't to point to the sins of the world and to say, oh, how bad are they? Oh, how bad are they? I thank God I am not like those other people, right? But rather our job is to look inward and be convicted by the Spirit of God and see our own sin and be sorrowful and grieving and thus repentant over our sin. And so so Amos speaks to his own people here, the people of Judah. He's unambiguous that the one true God is the God whose temple is in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, but he is equally clear on the fact that Judah is not above reproach. Judah, like everyone else, has a sin problem. Right? Because, he says, they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. The law of the Lord, the Torah, the, the instruction of the Lord. Right? It's not just a, a, an opinion or an idea, right? but a statute, a rule. It must be followed. This is the law of the Lord. Right? We read together the words in Proverbs Three, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And that gives us an idea of the purpose of the law or one of the purposes of the law at least in that, that we, we don't have these random rules that God just gives us for no reason in particular just to see if he can trip us up along the way and have fun and laugh at us when we mess up and then smite us. No, he gives us these rules because he wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to experience the life that he would have us live. He wants us to live a fulfilled and meaningful life directed toward him and glorifying him as we live. And he says that, that if we trust in him with all of our heart, and we lean not on our own understanding, but rather on Him. So the idea is, is we, we come to a situation. Let's say, for instance, we have a, a difficult situation. We have a choice. We can either tell the truth or we can lie, right? And if we tell the truth, it's going to make us look really bad. And, and if, we, or, or if we lie, we can kind of build up ourselves and make ourselves look really good, right? So we have a choice to make at that point. And if we lean on our own understanding... That might might be a case where we would say, well, which would I rather do? Would I rather look really good or look really bad? Well, I'd rather look good, so I will lie. But he says, no, don't, don't lean on your own understanding, rather trust in the Lord, depend upon the Lord, follow the Lord, look to his holy word and he will make straight your paths. He will direct you, he will send you in the way you ought to go which will be the way of joy and of abundance. That's why David talks about the law of the Lord as he does in Psalm 19. He says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Notice how he loves the law of the Lord. He loves the word of God. He doesn't come to it and say, Lord, your word is hard and I don't like it. And it makes my life miserable. That's not the way he talks about the Word of God. It's the way we think about the Word of God sometimes. But no, he speaks of it as, as a beautiful and wonderful thing to be desired. In many ways, he, he speaks about it as, as if it is a treasure map, right? It, you think if, if you're given a treasure map and, and it had a, a promise that at the end of it, there is this treasure that you will find. And, and it says, now, now there, there are some challenging parts you have to climb that mountain and you have to get get through that dark forest and and you have to get past these these other dangerous animals but if you follow this map it will get you there I promise you that it will get you there and you will have the treasure in the end even though there is some difficulty along the way there are some challenges along the way there may be pain and even suffering along the way we will follow that map won't we because we want the treasure. We want what it promises, and that's what God has in his word. He says, if you you follow my word, this treasure map I've given to you, even though it might be difficult at times, there is great joy for you because it leads you to me, and I am your treasure. I am the treasure that will bring you fulfillment and the abundance of life that you were created for. But what do we do? Well, verse 4 says, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. Right? We, we don't keep his statutes, we don't keep his laws. We believe the lies that say, it, it'll be easier if you just go this way, right? Look, look at that mountain, how high it is. You don't wanna go over that. I know the map says to go over that, but you don't wanna do that, that'll be hard. Follow, follow an easier path. Follow, follow something that, that makes more sense to you. Follow the way that, that looks better to you. But God says no. But we say yes. We reject the law of the Lord's idolatry. We set ourselves up as God, right? And we say, This is this is where I'm going, and we're led astray in this way. And 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 the people of Israel knew this far too well people of Judah, I'm sorry, the people of Judah knew this far too well. They would do that and as a result there was judgment coming. And Israel no doubt saw this and and they heard the the word of God in his judgment in verse 5 so I will send a fire upon Judah and shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem and, and because there's no love lost between Israel and Jerusalem people of Israel were probably like ha ha yeah give it to them God you know I, I don't know if they were Presbyterians or not but 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 even if they were they probably gave a little hallelujah amen right because those dirty Jews 30 people down to Judah were going to get theirs, right? That's the way we think about it sometimes. We see things happening to other people. Yeah, they deserve it. We're really big on justice, aren't we, when it comes to somebody else. <laughs> but, but there was more to Amos' message, was there not? Because after spiraling through the countries around there, getting closer and closer to Judah, where does he finally land? Verse six: Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions did for four I will uh, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Right? It's the same pattern, but now the chickens have come home to roost. He's speaking to Israel, and you'll notice some differences, even though it has a similar beginning to it. You'll notice the passage is much longer for Israel than it was for any of the others. The sin is more detailed, more more outlined, and the punishment is more outlined as well. He says, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Understand two things about this verse right here. When it speaks of the righteous, it's not talking about those who are completely without sin. Rather, it's talking about those who have a right cause, a just cause. Those who, those who in this case are just or right. And notice how it links two things together there. It says, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and linking together the, the righteous and the needy, right? The, the just poor, as it were. See, it's not saying that that all of the poor people are are without sin, no, but it's saying that they do have a righteous cause. They do have a cause that God supports, that God stands behind, that God calls us to be behind as well. Because often the poor are treated unjustly and unethically and and in a terrible way, and that's what it's talking about here. Perhaps it's referring to the the very common practice at that time of, of debt slavery, where somebody threw through whatever means, it might have been their fault or it might not have been their fault. It might have been poor business decisions or it might have been a, a, a famine that came through the land, left them unable to provide for themselves, unable to pay their debts. And so so they would sell themselves into slavery and and oftentimes the the people who were in power then would, would of course, take advantage of this and, and would make things more and more difficult and make it Make it harder for them to, easier for them to get into that situation and harder for them to get out of it. Or perhaps selling righteous for silver, some commentators suggest, refers to a type of, of, of bribe that would take place within a judicial setting. We don't need to be reminded, but but we will be. In Deuteronomy 16, God says, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bride, for a bride blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow. So at, at the least, we know this, what Amos is condemning here is the cruel exploitation of those who are in need. And he continues in verse 7, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. And and again, that that might have a straightforward meaning as we understand it in the English that saying you just walk over those people. You just just trample them. You you, you walk all over them and you don't care for them at all. Or or it's possible that this word trample actually has a a meaning of, of being, of grasp of gasping or panting, so, so that it's kind of like this idea that those who pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, so, as if it's saying, uh, you, you long for them to have, have the dust thrown on their head, which was a sign of, of sorrow, of grief, of agony, of distress. right? So, so the concept then would be, if that's what it's meaning, uh, that, that you long for bad things to happen to them, right, because that makes you feel better about yourself, right, if, if bad things are happening to other people, that's great because I can look at them and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not them, right, it, it's that idea again, and, and it picks up here that you turn aside the way of the afflicted, right, there are people who've had hard things happen to them, when I, I read this verse, I, my mind immediately went to the, the, the poem, The New Colossus, right, the poem that's written on the Statue of Liberty, right, it, It's not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles from her beacon hand. Glows worldwide welcome her mild eyes command their air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, pomp cries she, with silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We often don't live up to this kind of mindset, do we? Uh, I'm not saying just like with national immigration policies, I'm just saying in our own lives, right? Because if we're honest with ourselves, most of us aren't saying, you know what would be great if today I go out and and God sends a bunch of the huddled masses that are poor and tired and wretched refuse, homeless and tempest-tossed to me so that I can minister to them. Oftentimes that's not what we're looking to do, is it? We see somebody over on the other side of the street who, who is maybe down on their luck, maybe their fault, maybe not, we don't know and we just hope they don't cross the street toward us. We maybe walk the other way, we avert our glance so as to not see them so that they don't see us. That's what was going on in their day. Amos was speaking against such a mindset. Uh, As one commentator put it, the prophet contends that the avarice of the better off knows no bounds. And indeed, this is often the case with us too, is it not? Well, he, he goes on from there, and we, we've got to move quickly here, but he says a man and a father go into the same girl, and then there's all kinds of different thoughts about what he might be talking about here as well. This is a very difficult passage as a whole, and this is how it is. Some people think he's talking about cultic prostitution within the temple, some incest, some talk about sexual abuse of, of servants and people under the charge of, of those who are in authority, but but one commentator put it best, I think. He says, even though the particular practice Amos condemned here is difficult to determine. Verse 7 provides an insight into the social conditions of the time. See what he's saying is there are people who are being treated as objects. People who, who were not granted the dignity that they ought to have been given as being those who are, are created as image bearers of God Almighty. They were, they were treated as objects to be used as, a, as opposed to image bearers of God, and thus God says, my name, my holy name is profaned, right? We pray every week, hallowed be thy name, but, but he is not interesting. He's saying we're not interested in hallowing God's name. We're profaning his name instead. He says they lay themselves down beside every, gar- every altar on garments taken and pledged. The idea there uh, refers to the idea of you. If you took a garment from somebody's pledge, you loaned him five bucks maybe, and you said, but, but I'm gonna keep your coat, you know, so I know you'll pay me back. The law actually said in Exodus 22 that if you lend money to people who are poor, um, it talks about it, let me jump down here, it says, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, right, for it's his only covering, right? So so you could take it and pledge, but." But that night, if he hadn't paid you back yet, you still had to give him the coat back. Because he would be cold, he, he, he can't endure the night without the cloak to keep him warm. And, and your care in mercy for his well-being trumps your need to get your money back. You see the idea there? We, we ought to have kingdom priorities. The prophet speaks out here that, that in the house of God, they, they drink the wine of those who've been fined, uh, and then he picks up again a little bit later in the passage, verse 12, but you made the Nazarite drink wine, and commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. The Nazarites the, were, were those who had been set, set apart with a separate vow above and beyond what was normally. They vowed certain things that they wouldn't touch a dead body, they wouldn't cut their hair, and... And they wouldn't drink wine. He says, "You're making them drink wine. You force them to drink wine. These people who are set apart for God for a certain purpose." And then the prophets, right? You tell them not to prophesy. You see, both of those spoke to and and confronted sin. The Nazarites speak by their example. The prophets by their proclamation. And Amos says. You, you're getting in the way, you're subverting God's plan. You're, you're getting in the way of these people doing their ministry. And that is a problem. So, so there's great sin we see here. We spent most of our time already on that. We're gonna quickly move through the other two points. Having seen the, the sin of Israel that is so common to us as well. He reminds us of their story of grace. God demonstrated his grace to God's people. First, in just giving them the law, right? He's giving them the treasure map. You know, that was gracious. He didn't have to do that in the first place, but he did. But beyond that, there is a history of grace in their story. Verse 9, yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. The Amorites was a broad label for those who were in Canaan at the time. He says, says that, that you know, their, their height was like the cedars, their strength like the oaks. And, and I destroyed them, he says, from, from the fruit to the root. Right? from the top to the bottom. He says, I did that. Right? God was gracious to them when they were weak. He was gracious when they were powerless and they were lost. They had no hope for when they were enslaved, he had delivered them. When, when they were opposed, he protected them. When they were homeless, he sheltered them. When they were hungry, he fed them. When, when they were thirsty, he gave them drink. When, when enemies stood against them, he defeated them on their behalf. And now that the shoe is on the other foot, he says to them, you guys are doing none of that. Don't you see how, how wicked your sin is, especially in light of the history of my grace. I've done all these things for you. I have loved you. But now you will not love others. And right? he says, beyond that, also is I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you for 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. Right? I had delivered you out of slavery. Provided so much for you. And all you did was grumble. All you did was worship a golden calf. All you did was, was refuse to enter the land and take over the land as I promised to give it to you. And I raised some of your sons to be prophets and young men to be Nazarites, right? We already touched on that. He gave them these people that would lead them in the way of ministry. That they would lead them in the way of holiness, and they refused to listen to them and actively worked against them. Right? There's nothing quite so tragic as to have the grace of God revealed to you and to live as if it were not true. One commentator said this, there, If there is one thing more damning than receiving no grace from God, it is this, to have received God's grace in vain. Who've grown up with the scriptures, to have grown up with the covenant promises of God, to, to have grown up in the midst of the people of God and to live as if you are of the world. And make no mistake, there is a judgment that will come. And we see the certainty of judgment now. Verse. Thirteen. Behold, I will press down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. The idea of this cart of sheaves—it's it's harvest time, right? And you, you pull out the cart and all the sheaves go in. And it's just weighed down as much as it could be. The idea is this is the uh, the kind of the biggest, heaviest vehicle that that Amos can think of, right? If if it were modern days, perhaps he would say, say it, it's it's like you were you were run, run over by a freight train, right? The, this this massive, heaviest thing, right? That is the crushing judgment of God that is coming against you rightly because of your sin. And there's no human ability at all that can deliver us from it. None whatsoever. Flight shall perish from the swift. You could be the fastest person there is. You cannot outrun God. And the strong shall not retain his strength. He says, in the Face of God's omnipotent judgment, the strongest man alive is weak indeed. Nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. He who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides on the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked. You see, there's seven different people who are spoken of here, seven different soldiers. The idea is seven different examples of strongmen that would come against God. Seven being, of course, the, the number of completion, the number of fullness. He says all people of all types, of all strengths, of all abilities, with all giftedness. You know, uh, the one on the, on the horse would be like the general, right? The one who has authority and power and strength. He has all these things, and, and it will be nothing. You might have stoutness of heart, courage, and, and it will not serve you against The Lord, you will flee away naked. Right, these verses depict the utter, utter defeat that will come to Israel. But there are two things to remember in conclusion. One is that little phrase in verse 16, in that day declares the Lord. It's a wonderful phrase in this. He doesn't say, it's done right now. He gives you an opportunity to repent. And so it is for us. It hasn't happened yet. There is mercy and grace of God forestalling his judgment. It will not forestall it forever. There will come a time, but as for now, you still have time to repent of your sins. You still have time to turn to him. There is time for each of us to do so, to turn to Christ Jesus, to receive his payment for your sins, to receive his righteousness in place of your sinfulness. Because Jesus literally was the righteous one who was sold for silver. He was the one who was treated unjustly. He was the one who who endured the hardship of the poor. He was rich and gave it all Away He was enthroned and set aside his throne. He was the poor one whose whose head was figuratively trampled upon. The way he was treated above all else, God's name was indeed profaned. But he also endured the judgment of the world, didn't he? So that just as that stout-hearted soldier is left to flee naked, so Jesus was stripped bare And hung on a cross for you and for me. And just as that judgment of God is declared to be like a cart that, that presses down until we are crushed, so we are reminded of the words of Isaiah 53 He was pierced for our transgressions, and He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The weight of your sin, the weight of God's righteous judgment was poured out upon him and he was crushed for you. That you might not need to be crushed. (laughs) That, That judgment that God had promised because of your sin and because of my sin We need not bear, because Christ has borne it for us already. So though we are completely unable to save ourselves by any human power, it is by the power of Christ and Him crucified. Through His amazing grace, we might have forgiveness and salvation. So turn to Him. Don't think that you are mostly good and, and, and not really that bad a person, because we all deserve the just condemnation of God. But he offers us grace in Christ Jesus, this special grace. But it comes along with a special grace which convicts us of our sin. And so we see a passage like this today, this hard passage, this difficult passage that just points to sin, 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 sin. And let us be reminded of our own sin. As J.A. Motyer says, special privileges, special obligations. Special grace Special holiness, special revelation, special scrutiny, special love, special responsiveness. The church of God cannot ever escape the perils of its uniqueness. Jesus put it this way For those to whom much has been given, much is required. And in Christ Jesus, we truly have been given much. Amen.